Welcome to Changeboard's Future Talent Podcast, our new series of exclusive interviews with business leaders and thinkers to uncover their perspectives on the changing world of work. My name is Mary Appleton and I'm Changeboard's editor. And today I'm joined by Colin Price, who is Executive Vice President and the Global Managing Partner of the Leadership Consulting Practice at Hydric and Struggles. A recognised leading authority on organisational performance, Colin has consulted with many of the world's largest organisations and published on important business challenges of organisational health and performance for 25 years. His most recent book, co-authored with Sharon Toy of Hydric and Struggles, is called Accelerating Performance, How Organisations Can Mobilise, Execute and Transform with Agility. The book draws on a combination of empirical research and decades of experience advising global companies to show you how to reduce time to value by building and changing momentum more quickly than your competitors. The research demonstrates that the most important drivers of an organisation's performance are its ability to mobilise, execute and transform with agility. Colin has presented at many prestigious conferences, including the World Economic Forum and the Harvard Roundtable series, and will be speaking at Changeboard's 2018 Future Talent Conference in conversation with Aviva's Group CEO, Mark Wilson. So thanks so much for joining us today, Colin. It feels like we've been talking about a VUCA world for some time now. Do you think organisations and business leaders are starting to understand what this actually means? You know, um, 10, 15 years ago, we used to call all this stuff change management. And then somebody or other started calling it transformation a few years ago. And everyone uses that phrase. I think we should be calling it business. Because the, the, the idea that, you know, business is steady state and then you do a special change project. And then you kind of go back to normal. You refreeze the system. You go back to it. And then two or three years later, you change again. That idea is just not very helpful <laughs> anymore. You know, business is not stability with occasional bits of change. Business is agility. Bu- business is change, right? The, if you're in a period of normality, you're in a period of slowly dying. So I, I, do I think people have understood that? I, I think probably yes, but it's a bit horrible. You know, it's, it's tough. It's not easy to galvanize an organization to create agility. So I think people have understood it, that it's needed. I'm not sure we understand how to do it fully. Yet. I mean, there's a big, big challenge in creating human systems that can change. But th- I think the case for it is now well made. And, you know, I'm I'm approaching 60, and I remember when I first started doing this kind of work 30 years ago, there were many chief executives, to be honest, that did not really buy the idea that you had to create a rapid capability to change momentum and you have to engage your people and deeply focus on the customer. And I think since Lehman Brothers and all the horrors that brought with it, most if not all of the chief executives have got their heads to the place that says actually we need to behave differently. But the doing of it, the mechanics of how you do it are still very challenging. Okay, and you say business is agility. Why is the ability to move quicker than your competitors crucial for organizations in today's changing world? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. I, I don't often get asked that question, but I think it's actually the most important question. Why, why does it matter? So I, I grew up in a kind of um, 
in a, in a period in which strategy was thought of as identifying the position of sustainable competitive advantage. So your company is currently here today and three or five years time we want to be in a different place and when we're in that place we can defend and attack better than anybody else. That's how we thought about strategy. That just doesn't work because where do we want to be in five years time? I have no idea. I have no idea where we want to be in five years time. We have no idea what's going to happen to technology. We all know we're approaching the point in which AI and cognitive computing surpasses the ability of the human brain. That's already happened. I play a lot of chess. It's already happened in the chess world, right? But I think we're, we all feel we're not far away from the point in which we're, when you're talking to someone in a, in a call center, that's likely in five years, four years, maybe even one year, to be an intelligent machine that's responding to you. I, th I think that's clear. It might well be when you're talking to someone about what your insurance needs are or your banking preferences in the future, that, that sales capability won't be done by a person, it will be done by a machine. But we do not know. We don't know what's going to happen with technology. We don't know what's going to happen with Brexit. We've seen relatively recently political machinations, even that home of stability of Germany. So we, we live in such a VUCA world that we just don't know. So what's an alternative? Because as a senior executive, you, you can't say, well, we don't know. Let's hope for the best. So the alternative is if, if we don't think of strategies about how do we go from here to there, what strategy is about is getting somewhere else as quickly as possible. So let me just be very practical about it. One of the things we did in our research is we took 22 industries, banking, insurance, life sciences, etc. And we identified the top four players in each industry and the bottom four players in each industry out of the top 20. So the best and the worst out of the top 20 times 22 industries. And we had two hypotheses. Turned out they were both wrong. One hypothesis was the top companies will be doing different things from each other. That's how they get competitive advantage. And we're interested in what, what are they doing differently. And then the second hypothesis that we were completely certain about, but is completely wrong, is that the top four companies must be doing different things from the bottom four companies. That's why they're the top. Well, actually, that's not true. What, what happened, let's just take banking as an example. The top four companies are all downsizing investment banking, refocusing on their core franchise of wealth management or retail, accessing labor arbitrage opportunities by offshoring, near-shoring and outsourcing, etc. The bottom four banks are doing exactly the same thing. The difference is the top four banks are doing it quicker than the bottom four banks. It's as simple as that. They, they, they haven't come up with a better strategy. They've come up with a better pace of execution. So it's speed. You, you could, the, the, the jargon is reducing time to value. You know, if you take an insurance company, an insurance company knows if it sells another million uh, policies, it will produce more money. So the challenge now is how do you sell another million policies quicker than your competitors? So business is about speed. I'm not arguing that strategy doesn't matter. I mean, don't go in the wrong direction quickly. But working out the, r the right direction for a bank will not differentiate you from the other banks. It just won't anymore. Working out the right way to run a retail business, you know what? All, the, all of your competitors know the right way to run a retail business. The real key to strategy at the moment is being able to 
execute quicker than your competitors. And that's essentially a game of human dynamics. So how can businesses increase the speed and agility with which they operate? <laughs> yeah, well, that's the big one, right? That's the big question. So um, we, we did a lot of research on this for about four years, published a book and, and have done a lot of thinking about it. And to, to simplify that, essentially what we did is we looked at to, well, we looked at half of the 500 biggest companies in the world, actually 239 to be precise, and we looked at the the rate of organic growth. Organic growth is a really good measure to say, are you moving quicker than your competitors? Because if you if you include inorganic stuff, you can grow like Topsy, but you're using your shareholders' money to do it. So really what we're interested in is, is this bank growing quicker than that bank? When you do that, you can say, well, here's some companies that are shrinking quickly, other companies that are in the middle, other companies that are growing quickly, and some companies that are growing super quickly. We call those super quick growth companies super accelerators. And we were interested in what's the characteristic of these companies compared to the rest. And the answer is four things. They are better what we call meta. They're better at mobilize, execute, transform, and agility. So mobilize, right? They're better at getting their collective brains around, where are we going? Let's be clear about it. Who's on the bus? What do we need to do? Execute. So that is putting in place the execution rhythms, the disciplines, the metrics, the, the focus to allow for a rapid pace of execution, avoiding silos, bureaucracy, too much hierarchy, all that kind of stuff. Transform. So transform, this goes back to what we were saying about, you know, business is now about change. If you are changing slower than your industry, the end is close. You have to be changing faster than your industry. And the, the, the high growth companies are able to do that. And then finally, agility. So the one thing you know is when you're pointing northwest, tomorrow you're going to have to be pointing southeast. You have to be very agile. There's no point having a five-year strategic development process. Goodness knows what we'll be doing in five years' time. So it's more test and learn, small experiments. If you're going to fail, fail fast, fail cheap, scale quickly. So that agility question. So none of that is rocket science, but to do it is actually rather difficult, and the super accelerators are better at doing it. In terms of how that might happen from a people perspective, what's the role of HR here? So, you know, in a way, all this stuff is, is fantastic for HR um, because there's been a long debate in, in the HR world that I remember from 30, 40 years ago, which is HR needs to move from being kind of a, a support and enabling function to actually shaping the business. And, you know, everybody involved in HR has been saying that for a very long time, and it, and it's true. All this stuff, I think, helps with that because it really puts the people question at the center of the business strategy you know once you've worked out the hill you want to take moving quickly from here to there is how you make money and moving quickly from here to there is not only a people question but you can't do it without the people stuff so for example unless we, we happen to be using a bank in this example but if you if you think of how one bank is going to win versus another bank and there's going to be several bits to that, but part of it is the digitization agenda. Are they managing to digitize their operations? Are they managing to apply robotics and AI to their operations? Does that make their customer base more sticky? Do they avoid outflows? That whole digital banking 
is is part of the answer for a bank. So you could say it's largely a technology question. But if you were the chief executive of a bank that's struggling with its digital agenda, what would you do? The first thing you'd say is, well, who's running it? Are they any good? What's the team like at the top of our digital initiative? And those are HR questions, right? Now, it doesn't stop at HR. You also need to get the performance metrics right. You need to change the organization structure. But HR is absolutely critical to creating an environment in which organizations move fast rather than slow. And, of course, I would throw in a little challenge for HR there, which is, is HR moving fast rather than slow, right? So we all have to look at ourselves. But but it, I would say, in a way, HR has had its bluff called, right? HR has been saying for decades, we need to shape the firm. Well, here's the opportunity, shape the firm. Just need to make sure HR is ready to step up to that opportunity. And from your observations, do you think that HR is ready to step up to that? Well, you know, I, I maybe I'm biased here, but I often feel that the HR community gets a bit of a bad rep, right? It's, it's really easy to criticise and there are, there are kind of bad jokes uh, flying around around that. I, I have to say I've worked with some stunning HR people and teams and some of the very, very best executives I've ever worked with in any field of life have been HR people. So if I can embarrass a few of them. So there's a lady called Joe Wass, who was the head of people and organization development for the whole of the NHS, 1.3 million people. Well, don't tell me she doesn't know how to drive change. She she really does know how to drive change. Claire Chapman, actually, who I also met in the NHS, but she then became um, HR director of British Telecom and is now on the low pay commission. Well, Claire is a profoundly impressive intellect and has enormous drive and commitment and you know i'm not prepared to listen to anyone that says hr is no good because i i see claire sarah morris at aviva you know 30 you know in her 30s driving a radical agenda including fantastic work on diversity so and there are many more right i'm going to embarrass myself if i keep going with all these people but there are many more very 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 good hr people so i'm not I'm not willing to be passive when people say, oh, HR isn't good enough. But, of course, we need to get better, right? Not not the whole, we, we, the, the professional development of HR people isn't maybe quite good enough. The broadening of HR people into a business perspective constantly needs more work. But um, I'd say I, I've seen more good people than bad people in HR. Okay, that's great. So you mentioned Aviva, Sarah Morris. You're talking at the Future Talent Conference yeah. in March with Mark Wilson, CEO of Aviva. What work has Aviva been doing to accelerate its own performance? Can you give a few examples? Yeah, I can. I mean, Mark, Mark will be more compelling than I can be, but um, uh, I, I can certainly try. Aviva is at the moment 321 years old. They insured Sir Isaac Newton. So just just to give you a sense sense for the, the scale of what the academics call homeostatic equilibrium, right? It's a sticky system. And what Mark is trying to do is teach an elephant to dance, right? It's, and, and indeed, the, the stability and stickiness of it is no bad thing, right? If you're taking out an insurance policy, you don't want the company to go bust in two years' time, right? If, particularly it's life insurance and you're young. So there's nothing wrong with stability in that sense, but... They're now no longer competing just with other big stable insurance companies. We've seen, well, literally trillions go into insurance tech and fintech. And there's there's a huge 
technology wave of innovation and disruption hitting the insurance industry. So Mark is trying to thread the needle. He's trying to maintain the advantages of stability and surety and not messing things up. You know, insurance is not, you know, insurance is putting a price on things that have not yet happened. So it's intrinsically a difficult thing. High level of technical skills, actuarial skills and insurance, and you want to get it right. And on the other hand, you've got to move quick because you're not just competing with big insurance companies, you're competing with a startup in California, you're competing with largely state-funded technology companies in China and the rest of Asia. It's an intensely more competitive environment. So that's what he's trying to do. How he's doing it, you know, there's lots of different ways to describe this, but I'll just very quickly, you know, five big changes. He's changed the organization structure quite a lot, both in terms of shape and spans and layers and all that stuff. Very big push on leadership development, uh, moving some people out, moving some people in, doing a lot of training and mentoring and coaching and, and the like. Uh, just this morning, I was with 300 of the Aviva senior leaders who are going through what they call the Aviva Leadership Accelerator to, to help them embrace the new digital world. Uh, it's done a lot specifically on culture. They, they, have a, they have a cool thing called a CAT, a culture action team which has spawned kittens around the world, right? So there's, uh, I think, 50 or 100 kittens all, all over the world, which are kind of more kind of organic, bottom-up uh, task and finish teams to try and change the culture. Doing a lot of work on performance management, as lots of people listening to this will be thinking, you know, our performance management is not exactly the best thing we've got, so how do we improve it, etc. And a lot of work, still at early stages, I would say, on the workforce of the future. What, what will we look like when half of our people are millennials and the other half are gig economy people? You know, it, it's not going to look like it is today. So those are many other things I haven't talked about. Uh, and it's produced, you know, a very good performance. If you, uh, I would never like to talk about share price because you always jinx it. But if I was to look at their share price today, it's about 60% above what it was about a year ago. Um, their profitability is up, their multiple is up. And so, you know, if you do enough of these good things and you do it well, it definitely drives your share price. So, Mark, we'll talk more about it, but I think it's going pretty well. Super. And moving on to the changing world of work then, what are the key skills and capabilities you think leaders will need to be successful in the future? Yeah. It's a question that we, we've been doing a lot of thinking about. I'm not sure... We know a 100% answer to that question because the nature of the future is it's very uncertain. But the way we think about it is uh, if, you, if you just think about two categories, one category is kind of almost quasi-technical skills. So I, w I was at a, a conference recently, a, a year ago, of a, of a big global institution, and the head of their technology function came on stage to one slide behind him that just said, coach your robot. And he gave a really terrific presentation about how in the world of cognitive computing and AI, part of the role of a manager is to coach their robots. Now it sounds weird and ridiculous, but he has actually got a very important point, which is machine learning doesn't happen without feedback. And you're not just plugging in a spreadsheet, you're actually using robotics to sell things and service clients, etc. 
And the only way that machines will improve is if the, the leaders are kind of coaching and improving that, that capability. So there's more and more digital technical skills required. And of course, there's a lot of mention about them in the press and they tend to be kind of exotic and sexy. And they're all real. But I wouldn't want to forget the other side of it, which is as machines do more, what will humans do? And the role of judgment, the role of creativity, the role of people to bring together collaborative ecosystems is going to be more, not less. So leaders are going to have to do more of those things. So you might well say, well, what are they, what are they going to do less of? And, and the two things that we think they're going to do less of is, you know, we've all generally shared the idea that a manager's got a set of direct reports and he or she speaks to them on a regular basis and more than 10 isn't doable. I think that's broken down and is pretty dead now. If your direct reports are largely millennials, they're used to working online, they're used to getting constant feedback and peer evaluation, and of course they're all equipped with the latest technology, can you really only lead 10 of them? Can't you lead 20 or 30 or 40 of them? And the wisdom of the crowd and, and peer feedback means you're not the only person that can tell them what they could do better. So it's quite a different way of thinking about the resources that you've got. So I think that that kind of organizational shape will be different. And then the other side of it is, you know, machines do what people tell them to do, but the, the figuring out of the way through ambiguity, at least for the foreseeable future, is a human skill, kind of seeing round corners, anticipating what might happen. And we can certainly use the data processing capability of computers to help us with that. But the choice will always be made by uh, an individual. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say always, because who knows what will happen in 20 years' time. But for the next three to five years, will be made by an individual. So I think the leader's role, uh, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I feel that it will be a better role, not a worse role. Right? We may have less leaders, to be honest, but I think that role then becomes less about the prosaic command and control I've got to, you know, I've got to do 25 appraisals a year and set objectives and all that, frankly, boring stuff. And more to do with off outsourcing that, as it were, to computers and robotics, and more to do with exercising judgment and creativity. Which then leads to the obvious question is, are, are our leaders equipped for that? Are they ready? Are they prepared? And the, the honest answer would have to be no. I personally don't feel equipped and prepared to do that. I, I would be skeptical, skeptical about anybody who said that they did. But you, you just mentioned Aviva, you know, start preparing for it. That's what they're doing. Why are they putting 300 people through a 10-day training program split over several months? Well, because if we wait until the future arrives, we're going to be too late for it. So prepare for it and just accept there's some ambiguity. And do you think that the future world of work is something to be excited about? You kind of alluded to that earlier. I do, uh, personally. I, of course, I could be wrong. <laughs> right? Personally, I, I do. Look, any, any transition process brings pain as well. So you often hear people say that people resist change. I don't quite believe that. I think they resist loss. You know, a change for my life would be winning, you know, the, the lottery or beginning to look like Brad Pitt. I wouldn't resist either of them, but I would resist loss. And so, you know, if you stand back from your organization and you say, okay, we've got a thousand leaders, are all of those thousand leaders going to be in your organization in five years' time? Absolutely, categorically not. Right, I'm I'm working with a very one one of the world's top ten companies by market cap, and a very successful company by definition. Right, they're doing really really well, 
and we've just completed a kind of modeling process that tried to answer that exact, well, almost that question. It was of, of the people we've got, a leadership, technical, and what we called enabling skills. How many of them do we think have got the right skills to be here in four years' time? And the answer for the leadership group, and there was about 7,000 people in this leadership group, was about 30%. So there's, you know, very, very roughly 70% of those very successful people will not be in that business anymore. I'm not saying they won't be in business, but that business doesn't expect to employ them. So there will be pain. There, there just will will be. But, you know, the economy has always been like that. But it's rather more intense and speedy now, but there's always been a transition. We're recording this in the UK. You know, I remember as we transitioned away from mining and manufacturing towards banking, insurance, financial services, you know, has that been better? For sure. Has it been painful? For sure, right? So it is going to be painful. On the other hand, I personally think it's exciting the the one thing I'd say is if you if you want your future to be exciting rather than painful, get education. Now I'm a bit biased because I also teach at Oxford, so I don't mean just come to Oxford, and I don't mean necessarily formal education, but you do need to equip yourself with the best chances for the future. And just doing more of the past is not going to do that. You need to be open to learning these new skills. And so, what would be your one piece of parting advice to? to future leaders read the book or as, as a more practical and helpful point I, I would say um, uh, le- introspection so th- there'll be nobody listening to this that doesn't care about themselves doesn't care about their performance and they will know I know you know there are things you could do better there are things I can do better and, and you know such is life such is human life that's that's natural enough but but we have never been through a period like we're about to go through. Never, uh, not just in my relatively long life, but you know, since the industrial revolution, we've never witnessed a period of such tumultuous change. So if you want to be equipped for the future, think of yourself a little bit like an asset. Are you building up that asset? How much do you know about digital? How much do you know about what's likely to happen in Asia as China goes from five or six percent growth to uh, closer to three percent growth you know what's the likely you know five years ago we were saying the brick economies are where the action's at well go go to the, the go to the first two go to the bnr and you wouldn't say that anymore right you you would in india and china but you wouldn't say that in brazil and russia so are you really properly deeply grounded in the reality of the world around you at the moment and are you investing in your own development colin i've hugely enjoyed our conversation today thank you very much indeed And we look forward to bringing you another future talent podcast very soon. 